Robo, any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. Bro, did you get a 15 second head start this time? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that was a different pacing for the Space Jam thing. I don't, I don't know what was going on with that. Welcome to this week's Space Jam I am- podcast. <laughs> I wanted this podcast to secretly be a Buckaroo Bonsai podcast, but I don't think either of you like Buckaroo Bonsai that much. <laughs> so, you know, just have an experience. Oh, well, you should I'll actually it. say that I, I, you're right. I don't like Buckaroo Bonsai, but I want to give it another chance because I don't know. I just I was very confused. I think the first time I saw it because it's a, a madcap it, for sure. It's a confusing movie. The way it plays is definitely like this should be wackier than it is. Like a rock star super scientist uh, that goes around with his band doing alien adventures definitely feels like a crazy hijinks movie, but it's very dead played and like deadpan. So uh, you forgot the part where Peter Weller's playing a half Japanese like martial artist yeah. as well with all this. He's got a lot it's, going it's on. A lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a weird movie. It's the best. I love Peter Weller, but uh, I, I guess we're bearing the lead here. Uh, I guess we should start with uh, the unfortunate news of Max von Sydow. Uh, he recently passed yeah. away. I woke up to this news. Very, very uh, shocking. It, it's it's sad, and it's another one on the pile for really intense celebrity deaths, I think, this year. Like, 2020 has not started off on a good foot here. And, you know, even though uh, Max von Sydow lived a really long and fruitful life, it's still sad to see such a legend pass like this. Is Cal still here? Is Cal Has, has Cal I'm fallen for the coronavirus, too? Well, um, I was thinking about von Sydow and acting, and... Um, I realized that acting was just with your face, so I realize I'm not going to talk anymore on the podcast. I'm going to emote <laughs> with my face. We're gonna- <laughs> He's actually, this is a, it's a funny thing, because Cito was nominated, Oscar nominated for a role in which he didn't have any dialogue. You know, that's mm-hmm. a, a notable thing as well. And, and a couple performances where he's a much more visual actor than he is, you know, like dialogue based. So you're right think, on the money there, Captain. And, and I yet- think Bergman understood that and he really built off it and he built like a legacy out of his face. So like we have a very visual representation, like stark black and white of what Cito is as an actor. And even like with the makeup of like the exorcist, it's like, <laughs> it's definitely like a weird prosthetic, but it's still very visually Cito. Like there's no debate. And then like, with his voice in that in his role, he like carries it with such conviction. I was gonna say when he does do his voice with Ming the Merciless, it's like I think he's like top five scene chewers of all time. Like he's like <laughs> I always like to play with my pets before Annihilation, and it's great. It's fantastic. It's, I mean, he's got such a varied and insane career, like, you know, we all want to point to and recognize, of course, the collaborations with Ingmar Bergman as some of the, the great works of, you know, art cinema and such. But it's, again, at the same time, he's playing pulpy villains and stuff like Flash Gordon <laughs> and Strange Brew, of all things, as well. He, he had a varied career, and, like, I, I guess people just think of him nowadays in terms of, like, Game of Thrones. I don't even know what he was in Game of Thrones. I don't keep up with that. But uh, I don't even know what Game of the Rings is about, so. <laughs> Uh, and Star Wars, but he had like five seconds in Star Wars. I'm shocked that's a thing. <laughs> he was yeah. in all the headlines this morning. Star Wars actor Max von Sydow dies. I was thinking, uh, what about Silence of God trilogy or something? Why not? It's it, why not it's leave a single scene else? in the beginning of the Force Awakens, which is an, again an odd thing to hook on. But I kind of see it as the same way as like uh, Christopher Lee is remembered for his role in Star Wars, albeit that's a bigger part. Mm. But like it's this exposure of this great actor to a younger audience who eventually is going to seek out his other works i think yeah. you know which i think is really great and it, again it shows his intensely varied career you know we've seen see down everything ideally you should go from the rise of skywalker to a contemplation on suicide like through a glass darkly <laughs> well i went through contemplation <laughs> it's of suicide when i watched never say never again <laughs> what a transition yeah what a transition he's not bad in it he's not the problem with that film but like it's not a good film um he plays blowfield in that and he has the cat right uh i don't think he has the cat uh um, oh he doesn't 
No. Is, which one? Which which Blofeld is the cat one? Is it the the Donald uh, Pleasance one? Um, technically, they all do. Uh, like the off-screen ones. The off-screen ones are literally the cat. Like the the first few films, like From Russia with Love, just has the cat, and there's a voiceover over, and there's no actor. I don't remember if Donald Pleasance has the cat. I'm pretty sure he does. But then, uh, like I'm pretty sure. Oh, what's the guy's name? I think it's Charles Gray, the Rocky Horror guy that doesn't yeah. Diamonds Are Forever. I think he has the cat too. So anyway, <laughs> does Chris, what, what about Christoph Waltz? Does Christoph Waltz have the cat? Christoph Waltz does for sure have the cat. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm glad we could give Max von Cito a moment of appreciation. <laughs> I don't know why I was expecting this to be like such much more somber and like a serious kind of eulogy thing. I mean, this is what happens when we bring Bro on the podcast. Hey, man, I love chaos. Hey. Even. You know, the way I mourn is through celebration of work. You know what I, I mean? That's how I do. Uh, so my obvious pick will be Exorcist, just because it's probably the best horror movie of all time so and he's such a huge part father Marin is such a different horror character from anything we got before that so uh that'll be it for me i agree i think exorcist is like the the iconic role for him i have a, har- a soft spot for ming the merciless but you know it's not i mean his, his extensive <laughs> I, I, range yeah i love the I silence of god trilogy but i wouldn't suggest anyone watch them or i wouldn't watch them again so i can't i don't even have a big relationship with bergman other than like persona of course well I, i'm i'm actually surprised you guys say that father Marin is the most iconic like i i think that's certainly a valid choice but with how you know uh, prevalent imagery is, especially of Sido uh, in uh, The Seventh Seal. You know, how is that not the defining performance of his career? Uh, just because Exorcist is a better movie. I, I haven't I seen Seventh yeah. Seal, so I'm just assuming that it's iconic. Meanwhile, so Exorcist I've seen it's so very it's like good, for bro. sure iconic. We were putting together a feature on all these uh, Outbreak movies. I almost went with Seventh Seal as a movie about the Black Plague, and I was going to write about that, but might still do it. We'll see. I think it's a, I think it's a good one. Again, I, I think people expect Seventh Seal to be the super heavy, like you know, uh, depressing film about death and everything. But it's actually very, uh, you know, I think humorous and full of life and enjoyment. And it's a very affirming film. I think about life and death. I agree. You know, you'll be surprised by how accessible it is. I, I'd recommend checking it out, bro. I think you'd like it. I will check it out. For him, I'll check it out for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Other than like. You know, like Winter Light and Through Glass Darkly in the Silence, Bergman's pretty accessible. I mean, they look a lot heavier than they're going to be. Right, he's got this reputation hanging over his head, but it's a little uh, exaggerated. Yeah, Um, I think he's earned it, mostly, and he's... I I think that was it, he always focused on his actors. I'm going to go back to not talking and acting with my face. (laughs) Okay, Cal. Um, God damn it. Uh, so then, I, I guess to go back to the never say never again thing, uh, the uh, coronavirus thing really fucked over my bond thing, right? Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about it last week, but you know, now you're here to kind of confirm that it really did mess up your schedule. It did. It and, did. Uh... I was I was really like <laughs> set for it. I was grinding because every week this month was going to get a bond, and now that it's pushed to November, I'm thinking of. Anything tangentially related to Bond. I'm like, Austin Powers counts, and like Flynn counts. Uh, why don't I do the fucking Bourne movies? That's fine. That's not right. really what's going on here. That sucks. Yeah. You're definitely going to be like scraping the bottom of the barrel looking for related things. I know a long time ago I told you about like a French spoof series, uh, the, the OSS series that. I think is related, but I don't think you've seen any of them yet. But maybe worth checking out to add to the list. I'll of check it out Bond for you, but let's just put it this way. <laughs> I did not think that was necessary for the build-up to never say, or not never say never, no time right, for that. Right, right. We carefully orchestrated it so that it would just be Bond, 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 bam, then we're there. And now a, a pandemic has screwed <laughs> over our plans. It's funny because we cover every Bond and then we wait six months and then review the last one. <laughs> It fucking sucks, goddammit. And then, like, yeah. this was also the opportunity for David to actually, like, see a Bond film, like, on the there podcast. Was. And then I would have been, like... It's never happening in November, right? There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I was gonna say I've got a feeling the momentum for the film is gonna be really stalled by the time yeah. we come to November. Like the, the the marketing campaign alone is just so fucked for this movie. He now. just did SNL last week for a movie that's not coming out for six months. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a Fuck. so since the last show, Craig's come out and hinted that he wasn't done, and then he came on SNL and said, "No, he's definitely done. It's his last picture." So he'll be like sixty if he does another. So I really, really out. hope he doesn't. If, if he does another one, then um, we've seen it before. If you've read my series, you know if if a, an actor stays too long, y- you gotta cut him loose. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you say only Morris stayed too long, or whether I think they all uh, not all um, Connery yeah. definitely <laughs> stayed too long, but that's because he kept going back. Right. Yeah. Connery coming back after having another actor would have been fine. Oh, you know. He, yeah. Yeah, he came back like two or three times, <laughs> right? right? Uh, he came back after Lazenby, and Never Say Never Again is not technically canon, but another like that's a different production company. They went to Connery, and then they offered him, and he was fucking old by that point, and he was like, "I'll do it, sure." <laughs> so yeah, he came back twice. Oh, it'll be interesting to to see if he does or not. Do you have any ideas for like a replacement Bond you would go with uh, in the current culture? I don't. Honestly, I am I am partially in the camp, and I know the diehard Bond fan base is going to be mad at me. I'm I'm open to whatever casting is possible. You can cast him as anything under the sun, because I have full faith after Daniel Craig's casting and sort of like the cultural status of Bond that he could be anything. I think people want the fantasy of bond no matter what he is so i think only limiting it to white males um is especially ones that look like pierce brosnan and sean connery um is definitely limiting the potential for the character all right so you hear heard it here first bro endorses lizard person bond for the next in the series. hey man it's time for them to get their you know due you know godzilla man. hasn't gotten an oscar none of the teenage ninja <laughs> turtles have gotten oscars why don't we you know open it up for reptiles it's a shame you guys can't see how i'm acting with my face <laughs> I, I can feel it. It, it it's got a it's got a good subtext to the conversation I don't think it's working I, I, out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a nice underscore to the the conversation me and Bro have here. A good contrast. We need that for the podcast. I think a visual element is nice. What would you say if uh, I I want to put a George McKay up from 1917? How would you feel about that for James Bond? Who? 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 Exactly. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> but he he always kind of sinks into his roles, and people are never like, "Oh, George McKay," but I think he's just been excellent lately. And he was so good in 1917. And um, what else? Uh, I'm, I'm looking him up as we speak. So I know who you're talking about. Kelly is he game? the lead in 1917 or something? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, he doesn't look the part, but again, he could do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't doughy, look the part of like a soldier, I, right? But. Yeah, yeah. he's got that little doughiness to him that I kind of like. And like a little, at least in 1917, he evoked a naivete. Um, that mm. Bond definitely does not have. But if you do a reboot again, which they could, uh, Naivete would definitely be unique to that specific film. I think I'm pulling I'm for him. Um, I don't have other ideas. I've, I've been trying to yeah. get a... I don't know. I, I don't know where to go with Bond. I'm kind of stuck now. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm sure they are too. That's probably where they're at. This That's probably why they want the Craig. Again. Like They probably were like, let's ride the Craig train for as long as it possibly can i've been petitioning for elba forever but now he is too old he wasn't when i started i mean he's like basically craig's age so it's a little late now yeah um and uh, i think his i think his prime is kind of past too as an actor he hasn't been in much lately are you saying you didn't like him in cats um i think he's the one Good acting role in Cats. I don't know. Oh, see, there you go. I mean, Cats, that's the peak of your career there. you got to follow that up with something big. <laughs> From Cats to James Bond. Flexing like his acting exactly. muscles. What's another James Bondy movie that's kind of out right now? Like, I don't, there aren't very many that, being made anymore. What about that What about that Kingsman spinoff that Ray Fiennes is starring in? Oh, I don't... I don't know about the Kingsman spinoff, but however, like Kingsman is definitely like a good successor, and I will be covering it in the fucking retrospective now. <laughs> fucking goddamn! <laughs> but, but like, what yeah. if uh, 
What if Elton John was the next James Bond? Elton John specifically, not Taron... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Why would I choose yeah, Taron Egerton? He plays because, I mean, Elton I guess, John. Would you like the authentic article, or do you want someone that plays Elton John? That, that, Wouldn't that be fair. kind of odd to have someone from like the spoof, like because that's basically what they're doing in Kingsman, <laughs> is that they're obviously doing a Bond sort of thing, and then have him just actually be Bond, I, like retroactively? I think yeah, Egerton's great. I mean, I just think he's. Oh one yeah, of our I, best I actors. agree. I just think after you do that, it would be weird to cast the spoof version as the real. See, one. I disagree though, with like, that. I think um, a lot of the actors, at the very least, I think of like more. Um, because more, more, oh, more in Brosnan and arguably Craig, right? All of them, they didn't do spoofs, but they did spy-esque things. Like, more did The Saint, and Pierce Brosnan did Remington Steel. And both of those were outlets, and, like, those were like, oh, this is why he'd be perfect for Bond. And then for Craig, we had the layer cake, too. Yeah, yeah, Craig oh, with layer yeah. cake. Layer Cake, such an exceptional Bond movie. I think Layer Cake's one of the best ones made that wasn't in the series. I agree. And I, as far I, as, like, spy so contemporaries right now, we really got, like, Born, which hasn't had a movie in fucking eons, and Mission Impossible. It, I, that's not true. That's not true. You're forgetting about Jason Bourne from, like, 2015 or whatever. What the fuck? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, I, I remember that film, but... That was five like you years. Said, you want to forget it. You, you, you want to forget about it. <laughs> Nobody saw that, sir. So. I I actually did see it. What? I saw The Boy oh, yeah, Legacy was... with Renner, and that was weird. Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a dead series, and they shouldn't have kept going. <laughs> Tom Cruise is right now the spy king, unfortunately, to me, because I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's a bad place to be, by the way. Are, when Tom Cruise are the Mission Impossible it. films even spy movies anymore? Can you even consider them that? I th- I think the public at large considers it that, but like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I would because like I think set pieces are like one of the big appeals, and like set pieces define Mission Impossible. There's nothing right. else going on other than the fact that Tom Cruise is going to do some stupid shit without a stuntman for the next, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and we have the Top Gun coming shortly. If that doesn't get pushed by Corona too, I'm excited. For well, I guess Top we Gun. we should ask Bro. We should have uh, Bro play our Corona game that we did last week as well. Oh yeah, so last week we went through some new releases that were coming out and tried to decide um, which films would be pushed by coronavirus. Do you want to partake? All right, let's do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm up to bat. <sighs> okay, this. so Out I think David park. decided most things were safe here. Um, but I'm going to throw you a couple of the same. So uh, we had Mulan first. Define safe. Like, not going to be postponed <laughs> is what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah not that yeah. they're going to be, like, a bomb, but you think it's going to be postponed or safe? It's so difficult with Disney, but I think because of the giant China market, Disney may budge. Yeah. Here's the thing yeah. is, if it's, like, a smaller film, like, you're probably going to mention to me New Mutants or something, New Mutants <laughs> 100% should go on fucking disney streaming service it's clearly yeah. like at a loss it's fine use it to market your fucking streaming service that does not have movies right now <laughs> you know? i mean do you want someone to go get coronavirus because they need to see new mutants absolutely not <laughs> no and also the fact that everyone is staying inside encourages binging more so instead of seeing your mulan they'll be seeing things on netflix unless you put movies on disney plus Probably not Mulan. That's probably like hundreds of millions of dollars of the budget, but you know. Okay, how about you know, this important one that we have that could fit into your um, James Bond series while those movies are away? We have uh, My Spy with Dave Batista. Oh, man. Oh, shit. Our, I should give you a little forewarning. I have info that our uh, press screening was canceled, so the production is aware of the virus and they're already making moves on it. But it comes out this week, if not, or in a few weeks, I think. Okay, since with, you gave me this information, I think you're giving me an easy ball here. It may get postponed or something. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, You'd think a Dave Batista feel? film would go direct to DVD or some shit, but I mean, hey, good for him. <laughs> Just that it's releasing in theaters. It yeah, that's like a victory. A what about Artemis Fowl? Oh my god, that looks so fucking terrible. 
Yeah, they may just release it as like a "fuck you, it's it's uh, March, <laughs> but it's coronavirus." Like, I it, agree. This is, I don't think they're salvaging that film because the goodwill for the people that have read the book don't like it because it it deviates from the book. Spoiler alert, by quite a bit, and uh, it also just looks mediocre to anybody else looking at it. Um, how about yeah, they, it's already been delayed so much. Like, didn't it wasn't it supposed to come out like two years ago? I think. Oh it's yeah. Almost in the same camp as New Mutants. There. Yeah, you see, at that point, it's just like fucking put it on streaming service, and then you're gonna snipe the unsuspecting viewer that's like, oh my god, I loved Artemis Fowl, and then they can watch it and then be disappointed. That's the way to do it. <laughs> so the last one I have a theory on. So Wonder Woman, 1984. I think that our I think what we're going to see is that the hero movies will all come out as scheduled and everything else will get pushed. Um, I'm guessing that will be basically what we have for the next four or five months will be. When those does movies Wonder will Woman be release? That's in June, June 5th. It may not go. It may not move. Yeah. I think that, that may stay. I don't know. I, I'm not a prognosticator um, like Punxsutawney Phil from Groundhog Day. But, um, you know, <laughs> I think that... How did, you, how did you do that? How did you sneak Groundhog Day into this podcast? I thought I could escape that, but no, here we are again. No, man. I'm with Cal on this. I love loop, time loop movies. Um, but I, fe- I feel like I'm living in a time loop with how often it comes up. Hey, man, if a time loop involves watching RoboCop every day, that's not that bad. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. But anyways... Um, yeah, I don't know if the, the virus is going to get worse in June, but I think by that point, everyone will know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, well, also, I, I agree with that idea as well, that the big blockbuster things, I think the, the studio is going to be banking on the fact that people want to see them so bad that they'll go get infected anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I think, especially like, I think a Marvel fan, this- like, going, getting the flu to go see Avengers Endgame Day 1 wouldn't be a big deal, you know? Yeah. These some of these guys are so diehard that they'll be there, you know, like like practically ready to you know cough up a lung, and they're still not going to miss opening day. I'm pretty sure they've gone to some of these sick. I, they, I was legit gonna go to fucking no time to die in a suit, like just a big old hazmat suit, <laughs> and like just let. The oh, people, I thought you meant like a James Bond suit. Let the zombie suit. coronavirus <laughs> people <laughs> cough on me. Like I was just gonna tough it out. And th- these are the kind of dedicated writers we need for the site. This is why we keep bro around. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, fucking six months from now, it's like, bro, bro's gone off the deep end. Um, I don't know what to tell you. That I think that was always an inevitability. That was a good bit. I'm reacting with my face. <laughs> um, I think, uh, oh, well, well, I risked it this week. I went to the Wayback, which is a, a very dangerous proposition in Seattle. How'd you feel about the way back? Uh, pretty good. I think uh, it's good to see Affleck coming out of rehab and uh, kind of recovering his own career as he goes through his own recovery. Um, in a recovery picture, that's just what you want. L- let me ask, how do you I'm feel re- about Ben Affleck's career as a general idea? I don't know how I feel about it as a general idea. I always feel like he's overacting or he's playing too much into a part, but uh, this is the most I've ever seen him show up. What... I assume to be like himself. I mean, he's a little bit bigger, a little heftier than ever, but um, he he actually acts like a person. I definitely respect this uh, choice for this film. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like no matter what, um, this I'm guessing this film's not doing good in the box office, right? I'm assuming I, I every box imagine. office right now is like a tumble. Yeah, I imagine. Every film is probably doing poor in the box office I mean, right now. <laughs> Onwards doing okay, but really bad for Pixar. How is so. Onwards? I haven't looked at the exact numbers. I just read reports that it wasn't doing up to their expectations, but it was doing fine here. Okay. Um, yeah. Onwards is th- all right, though. Uh, so it, let's see. It, made it about, doesn't surprise me that it's doing poor. Again, the virus is going to mess up everything right now. The way back didn't do great, but it, it doesn't probably have a huge budget either. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, what we're getting here, it's a recovery picture about basketball. I'd say the first uh, two-thirds, first two acts are very concerned with the basketball and the coaching job um, that Affleck's doing. Uh, he likes to swear and curse a lot. He's always he's always like, fucking goddamn, at this Catholic school. So that's problematic for him. And he's uh, a little bit rough around the edges because his son just died from a, a kind of cancer, I believe. And uh, he's just gotten a divorce from his wife. And 
So he's kind of down and out until he gets his basketball job, which is one hope and his only thing other than hanging out at the bar every day. Uh, of course, I'm very passionate That's... about recovering movies. So. That sounds like just a, a, a film centered around Dennis Hopper's character and Hoosiers. Yeah. Because that's yeah. like his whole thing as well, I remember. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think coach movies that actually feature a coach with like conflict are very strong. You know, like, you just think of shit like Bad News Bears or something where like technically they're a mess, but they can still be a guiding force for people is inspirational still and helps in their own recovery. I don't know if I ever mentioned it. My mom's ex-husband was in Hoosiers, so I had to watch that a lot wow. growing up. He played uh, in Indiana. Was he like oh, an extra, cool. or was he like a, an actual part? Uh, we're uh, kind of like an extra that he throws a guy through a trophy case at some point. That's like a big extra. That's like you know. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's yeah. a high tier extra. Right. That's like that's, an, extra that's an extra plus, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no lines still, but you get some action in the script there, and you can, you know, you stand out. You can like, for sure point you can... at yourself and go, that's me. Yeah. The, the fact that you can tell me about it without having to point to him on screen, you know, noted, uh, indicates that it's a much greater part. Right. And uh, then he went from there and just did, like, news reporting in Seattle. <laughs> so that wasn't, like, a big thing for him. Um, Good for see. him, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was cool growing up around basketball so much because he was like a diehard player. And then you became Indiana. a hockey fan, so. Uh... <laughs> I, I did say he was my stepdad, right? <laughs> you have to rebel at some point and follow your own path. Oh, my God. Uh, so, the Way Back, I think it's interesting. It's very confusing title since we had like the Way, Way Back a couple of years ago. I... Oh, there's also the way back, like in that same year. Like oh, yeah. the reason they had to go with the way way back for that film was because there was already a f- recent film called The Way Back. <laughs> so there's so many of these films that they have very similar names. You're never going to be able to remember this like ten years from now. We're going to be like, why do we have all these way back films? It's weird. Like I was just thinking last week, why don't we have movies like Miracle? Because last week was the 40 year anniversary of the uh, Miracle on Ice, where we beat the Soviets, right? So I was thinking, right. why don't we have something this year, like? It's been forever since Miracle, and uh, same director here, we have Gavin O'Connor on it, and so I kind of got the picture that I was hoping for this week. Miracle's a good movie. I, I loved Miracle back in the day. Yeah. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's great. Kurt yeah, Russell's good in anything. Coach. You you bring Kurt Russell onto a project, and it bumps it up like two points on my 10 scale for me. No, I think Miracle's <laughs> one of my favorite coach-player dynamics. Just that scene where they're doing the, the very intense practice He's doing that again, right. again, again. You know, it's it's such a memorable experience. Yep, that's definitely a memorable moment from that I, I recall. It's been a long time since I've seen Miracle, but I it, definitely moments stand out to me, of course. Is, uh, is The Way Back it. a better basketball movie than Space Jam? Um, no, no, what? there's no better basketball <laughs> no. movies than Space Jam. No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I just wanted Space to get Jam... the basketball opinion out there. Space Jam has a lot more basketball in it than the way back. Oh no! <laughs> this feels ridiculous. <laughs> you didn't sell one there. <laughs> I feel like uh, the way back always cuts from the basketball when it needs to. It's more about this recovery story, and basketball's like the template where he finds community and connects to kids in a different way uh, to make up for the loss of his son. Uh, the basketball is not the thing. Let's say that. It, okay. In all fairness, in all fairness, the way back, there is a lot more basketball in Space Jam than you remember. <laughs> I don't is. think the rules are. I'm not an expert on basketball. I'm pretty sure the rules aren't played like that. No, but it, 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 I mean they're close. <laughs> yeah, it's close, debatable. I, mean, I guess it's debatable. Artistic liberty. <laughs> I mean, since it's depicting an actual event in history, you know it did have a real basis. But there's clearly some, you know, fouls at least going on in the second half. <laughs> so I'd put this below his other work. Uh, Gavin O'Connor's on probably Miracle and Warrior. I like Warrior a lot. I think that's way underappreciated as a sports film. That's the uh, the that's the MMA one, one. with yeah. the the Tom Hardy MMA one. Uh, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good alcoholism story too. So he has, like, two recovery stories mixed with sports in the bank. I I like uh, Gavin O'Connor for this. Well, it's good that he's found a niche. Uh, I wonder when he's going to do the uh, Alcoholic Loser movie. <laughs> Hopefully soon. I feel like that wouldn't last long if you were on Luge and you had alcohol. I feel like it would be a short career. 
Probably it's not a good mix, is it? No, I I feel like it's like ninety <laughs> miles per hour every day. When's the anniversary for the Cool Runnings thing? Why haven't we gotten a Cool Runnings movie in a while? There there are few other Jamaican bobsled teams out there, unfortunately. It's a tragedy, man. You got to celebrate that sort of thing. Who was it this week? Was going around trying to like bring back the idea of John Candy? I saw some actor was just trying to promote was that him a again. Thing? Yeah, like this last week. Uh, I think it was Ryan Reynolds, was it? Going on a bunch of interviews talking about John Candy. I think that's the Canadian in them. There's Canadians. I'm I'm not actually going to say anything bad about Canadians. Never mind, I was going to be like, they all look for themselves. But that is not true, everybody. (laughs) I think the worst thing I can say about Canadians is that they buy their milk in bags. The worst thing about Canadians is that they are very nice people and they may make other people look bad by comparison. Thanks, Canadians. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Ketchup fries are a horrible idea. <laughs> Alright, I think All right, we're ready to talk chips. about Is our, our main film now. They have those loaded chips, right? No. <laughs> yeah, that, well, Canada has like the millions of flavors of chips and everything, and they like to rub that in our face. I'm trying to do yeah. the, the the Calvin thing of, like, acting with my face, and then I realize Robocop <laughs> doesn't have acting with the face. His entire face is blocked. What was this all about? Um, so, have you guys heard of devs? <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> David and I were ready to just transition on the main thing, but he was like, Debs is on our list. We gotta talk Ke- about it. And you skipped uh. you skipped over Debs. I took that as to mean that we weren't talking about it anymore. We're already at like more than a half hour now here. I'm like, oh I guess Calvin decided to skip that and go to way back, so let's move on to Robocop. And now you messed everything up. I just thought we had a great transition into the way back back there. Alright, Cal, go ahead there. and talk about Debs. Way back back. Alright. I'm ready. I'm just gonna sit down and let him talk. I'm not gonna converse anything. I don't know anything about this. I, I decided I don't want to. No, um, oh so God. it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it, I love the sound design of devs. It's so impactful. I wish I had a surround system because it's like a constant thumping and like a techno computerized feeling. Um, if you like Annihilation and that kind of sound design, I think it's just a treat. So, um, I just want to recommend devs shortly, but, uh, there's not a ton to go on off the two episodes we have. Uh, it's kind of like an unfolding mystery. So, I don't really ever know where to go with that, right? Like, I don't want to say too much or too little. Um, but Alex Garland, of course, uh, uh, is kind of back in the news because he was, like, uh, the writer on, like, 28 Days Later, which is on everyone's list for coronavirus and uh, has made some really good pictures. All right, well, I guess we'll talk more about it when more of the episodes come out. Uh, sure. I just want to give a shout out to the show because I'm really enjoying it. I want to recommend everyone follows along with it. Uh, it's great to see Nick Offerman in a real starring role. He has like the huge beard and he's like a, uh, the tech guy. If you've seen Ex Machina, you kind of know how it's going to go with like the Google systems. And he has like a, such a profound respect for technology. Like the technology speak is really good. People use devices like they actually do. It's it's a big problem I have with sci-fi movies where devices are really poorly implemented and thought out, and they live like in a in a system of uh, semi-reality that would never actually happen. Um, I like how real it is here. I love Dex Machina. Of sci- <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of good sci-fi movies, you know what we watched this week? Your move, creep. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's RoboCop. The answer is RoboCop. A lot of silences in this. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on it. Imagine it is a comedic punctuation. That's how I like to think of silence. It doesn't work if all three of us act with our faces. <laughs> uh, I Fuck yeah, I saw Robocop. That's my review. I have seen Robocop. I think this is like my 12th time. If I had to put a number on it. I love Robocop. Fuck yeah. Oh. It's it's a great great film for a lot of many reasons, and I hope we have enough time to get to them all here. Bro has a nice big list. I see he he gave us here, and I've through. lost so my I'm, list. Oh my god, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you want me to give you your list again? No, no, no. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got. Okay, <laughs> I'm very organized and professional. <laughs> 
Well, bro, why don't you start us off, because you are, I think, are the most enthusiastic about us here. We brought you on to talk about RoboCop specifically. Well, I think his full, I think your first bullet was, fuck yeah, I watched RoboCop. That was your bullet. I think that was your only bullet. My bullet was, this movie is a fucking blast. And, like, you could do, and I'm sure a million podcasts have done this, where you just do Remember Whens, where it's like, remember when RoboCop shot a, a criminal's dick off? It was like an like an almost rapist. And he was just like, and then the guy's like, ah! And then the other rapist is like, no, don't hurt me. That was great. <laughs> or remember the moment in Omnicorp where the guy was like putting the weapon down and ED-209 is like, I'm not going to stop. And then he shoots him for like a minute. And you just see it's, blood It's like everywhere. a full bloodbath. That was great. It's an... It's gory as all hell, and it really, I think, delivers that impact of how fucked up that situation is. <laughs> and then, like, the fact that they're like, eh, so sucks to be him yeah. is, like, a very, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is not a good place to be. I think RoboCop always worked for me because you think it's going to be one way because you've just seen Terminator. Like, imagine when this is released, they're using, like, the Terminator score for the trailer. So people are expecting this tone of, like, a sci-fi movie, and you think you're going to get, like, an action movie. And then it gets, like, proceedingly gory and subversive as it goes and becomes, a, I think, a really profound anthropological statement. Like, chiefly, I think that's what it is. The social commentary is very, very strong in the film. Um, it, it, yeah. it's delicate about the satire. We can talk later about Verhoeven's other satirical works. Um, but I think like in contrast to Starship Troopers, right? Starship Troopers is a very like hard satire where it's like, mm. oh my God, this is terrifying. This is what happens if fascists rule the earth. And, mm. um, this one is much more not necessarily willing to admit the corporate is a problem, but that's sort of like... On my notes, I, I labeled it as Judge Dredd and light satire because, like, in Judge Dredd, for instance, there is satire and it is fascism and it is scary, but also criminals are bad and Judge Dredd is the hero. Like, if there's any hero in the thing, it has to be Judge Dredd and it has to be RoboCop here. So he has no right. choice but to do that. So that's a very delicate moral balance that I think the movie handles very well. And the thing is that the satire is still very prevalent here, but it's not, like, as, uh, you know, dominating as, like you said, with Starship Troopers. But I, I agree with this idea as well that there is that element still of uh, fascist commentary in RoboCop, you know, in how it depicts the intensity of the police force and, you know, the, the near police state that they're getting to and how, you know, the corporations run everything and are running it into the ground and making everything awful. It's all there. It's just, it's definitely not as uh, in your face necessarily, but it also is. At the same, I don't know, it's, it's this weird middle it, ground where it's very every pre prevalent, but not, like overstepping I, I agree like every aspect of it definitely can you can mind something like this time was really the time that called to me that like oh this is definitely the dangers of privatized public services like in the in the film omnicorp says for the robocop program that they transferred a bunch of people over high-risk candidates over to the detroit police department in hopes that someone was going to die so that they could use them to be a robocop that's insane. Yeah. And that is yeah, exactly yeah, that, what would happen in real life if a company owned a police force. Well, and, and the thing as well with it is that RoboCop is not like a crazy dystopian future that would never happen. It's happening in many ways here still. Like the privatization of, you know, important public facilities. That's our healthcare system, you know, obviously, you know, and it's killing like as many people practically here. <laughs> well, we have to think about, like, 1980s Detroit, too. So it's, like, the first time in the city's history it became, like, majority black, right? So there's, like, this huge cultural shift that they're looking at where there's becoming, like, a fear of police and there's not enough people in enough tax brackets to support a city and there's so much white flight and uh, it's, like, a time where it's pretty easy to predict where the city's going to go and now it's, like, a ghost town where, where you could imagine Robocop playing out in. Doesn't Detroit actually have a RoboCop statue now? <laughs> I believe, I believe it, does. it does. Yeah. 
I think that's the Which only is, thing left. <laughs> I guess there's a there's a hint of irony in that as well, but I mean, at the same time, there's also the kind of idolatry aspect of RoboCop in the movie. I mean, how many people have compared the the character arc there with that of Jesus symbolism? Verhoeven intended that. He was like, yeah, I think "Yes, he said I that. have made Jesus, <laughs> robot Jesus." <laughs> There's even a scene where he, like, literally walks on water in the end. You know, it's not exactly so. The, the, the Verhoeven thing was specifically towards the uh, death scene of... Uh, his, yeah. The main character's name is Alex Murphy, not Robocop. When Alex Murphy dies, they shoot him in the hands first. Like, in, like, right, a Christ like, oh, pose. It's almost like, you know, like you are with the, the nails effectively there, but, you know, we're using bullets instead. Very subtle symbolism. This this film is a very, you know, nuanced subtext. This movie Murphy is called is, Robocop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, that's the great thing, but if you compare it to any other action film from the 80s, it's like... You know, three times as smart as anything else you could pick out of the hat there. You know, it has something going on under the surface. It's not super complex or, you know, nuanced or anything like that. But it's smarter and it's, you know, I think, you know, it's got more meat to it and credence than anything else going on at the time. I agree. And to contrast with, like, something like Terminator, I think you could argue that, like, the original Terminator has a better technique to it. I think Cameron's a very talented director. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. But as far as social commentary as far as just like effectiveness i i like comedy a lot and i like action and this film blends humor with the action so well it's it's great mm-hmm. if there's anything that's weak about the film i feel like the story isn't like super great like especially the emotional part with murphy's you know family like i don't feel like that rings you know as strong as it could and i think like the structure of it's a little odd like as soon as we get robocop it's like three montages of him saving people and then we you know kind of stop that like that's basically just a very rushed showcase to see what he can do before we get back to like the you know, story stuff going on. But all of that, I think, is less important to me than the commentative acts, uh, aspects, the, you know, satirical nature, the action, the fun, thrilling action, the de- sci-fi design of the film, as well as the strong characters and performances going on throughout. To speak on the performances, how do, how do we feel about Red Foreman and Peter Weller, the standouts? <laughs> uh, I- <laughs> We're not going to actually refer to Kurt Woodsmith by his name, obviously, because he's just Red Foreman to everybody. And uh, he is phenomenal. He's like the best villain of the 80s here. And you got yeah. two of them because Ronnie Cox is fantastic as a counterpoint, as the business, you know, Dick villain Jones. Well there. I think they have great. Yeah, <laughs> great name too. It's, it's strong, ver- virile. They, they, they play that up because, like, uh, I don't remember the, the Robocop executive's name. But, like, he, he calls Dick Jones Dick, and he emphasizes it. And Dick Jones's problem is he doesn't show respect. And then yeah. uh, Clarence Boddicker, Red Foreman's character, god damn it, <laughs> Kurt Woodsmith's character, uh, he, he refers to him as Richard. So the criminal that is selling drugs and is murdering police left and right refers to Dick Jones as Richard, and that's all Dick Jones needs to respect him and treat him properly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think there's a, a great dynamic, especially with him, and he's got so many memorable lines throughout, and his charisma on screen is, you know, his imposing presence and just how much fun he's having. Kurt Smith's having the time of his life in this role, being, like, this insane madman, and he's just running around with, you know, gleeful delight murdering people, and he's just having a total blast. It makes the film so much more fun to watch. Yeah, he's he's devilish. You know, sometimes you like a villain mm-hmm. that's unapologetic. I don't think there's a moment for Clarence Boddicker's character that's like, wow, this is a good deep down. That doesn't happen. This character doesn't have... You know, good motivations at all. He enjoys the crime, and that sort of that sort of makes things heroic and makes you want to root for RoboCop, even if RoboCop is the product of a bad environment. And it makes you consider what is made from the bad environment. How much of it is Detroit? How much of it is America? How much of it is uh, Omnicorp? How much of it is the fucking news media that shows up like five times in this film just to remind you how shitty things are? 
I think I say it a lot on this podcast. I think that outsiders tell better American stories than most Americans do. And I think Paul Verhoeven has a more um, advanced idea of what America looks like than other future sci-fi things. Like, I feel like we're a lot closer to Robocop than like Blade Runner or an alternative. And um, I think that Dutch perspective is really important. It was like initially criticized by like, Uh, Pauline Kael for being like, oh, he doesn't even know the English language and it's so rudimentary. It's just like a boy's dream, which, you know, that's kind of what our entertainment is now, but that's not anything like this movie. And just, just imagine if you said that now, this guy doesn't speak English, so he doesn't have a good grasp on filmmaking. I mean, it's the same thing as saying, like, we don't know how to speak, you know, German and yet we're making films about you know, stuff in World War II or whatever. Mm. It doesn't matter. But uh, the idea to me still that, you know, Robocop is just like a, a you know, teenager's wet dream or whatever you want to call it is a is a brilliant bit of it because it manages to do both. Yeah. You can enjoy Robocop while, like, ignoring the commentary aspects because, again, it's all, <laughs> like, it's underneath that layer of, you know, spectacle blockbuster entertainment, which is, you know, what makes it so much more enjoyable to return to. You know, like, nobody wants just, you know, snooty art house, you know, contemplation on poverty and gentrification. Well, she also thought that the old man was sympathetic, so I don't think she had a good reading of the film. <laughs> I, I'm guessing she meant, like, the... The actual, like, old man played by, uh... Dan O'Hurley? How do you say it? Are you talking about the Omnicorp president or something? Yeah. Yeah, that that guy. He's also... He's he's actually a really fun actor. He shows a lot of things. I don't know if you remember, he's in Halloween 3 as well, as the villain. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. I I, I don't mind the president, and I think think also showing the president and, like, the RoboCop people, or the RoboCop executives, um, I don't remember the black man's character name but he's like the assistant to the the main robocop exec and uh Mm -hmm. they show a little bit more humanity to the omnicorp side like clearly the president isn't happy when an entire executive dies or is happy when his uh his vice president uh, is murdering people um so like there's a little bit of an element to that but like deep down you're still like oh there's something severely wrong here and they still play it very well I think uh, some of the comedy comes from a different ear for English dialogue. I mean, they say things that you wouldn't expect someone to say, or or they have, like, uh, you know, little bit phrases that are just funny to put English words together, but uh, I think that's just too derisive to say it's because he was Dutch, and that makes it lesser than anything else. I, I don't think that's the case at all. Again, if anything, his perspective, you know, brings a, you know unique idea to RoboCop makes it stand out from all the other 80s action films. Again, you know, it's a huge, like, kind of blob in that era, you know, where a lot of it is, like, the same going on, and RoboCop is one on the other, the late end of the decade where it stands out. It's not, like, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, big buff guy, you know, shooting rocket launchers anymore. Yeah. You know, got more going on. <laughs> he, it's funny because I know that Verhoeven, like, paced the whole thing around his, like, idea that he got from Rambo films, so he'd sit and watch those, and he tried to pace it around that, but it has so much more to say. Maybe not than the first Rambo. I think it's kind of detailing from where that left off. Well, I'm, I have, like, a Peter Weller thesis going on. I haven't said it to you guys yet, but this is definitely, like, okay. I'm, I'm interested. So, when you listen to how Peter Weller addresses acting and, like, his process, it's very different than a normal actor's process. If you If you put any other actor in this film, the way they would have done it would have been, like, well... Alex Murphy is a human being and a father, and he wants to be a good role model for his father, but the robot aspect is taking him away. That is not what Peter Weller says. What Peter Weller says is much more in line with Verhoeven and the image of the film. Peter Weller analyzes a character he plays with like academic scrutiny. So he would say things like, RoboCop is a product of a fascist environment. He is simultaneously a Jesus figure, a corporate uh, merchandise figure, and uh, a stoic uh, law upholder. And that's how he portrays it. So I think the thesis here, and you can see in other aspects of things he's done, um, he, he talks that way about like Buckaroo Banzai, or even like fucking Batman when he did The Dark Knight Returns fucking directed DVD stuff, is he he doesn't approach it with like a human aspect and that may put people off to him as a general thing, but it yields really well to artificial 
satirical elements or cartoonish elements. Hmm. I'd buy that thesis for a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, I think... I think that's very good. I think uh, Peter Weller is an often uh, overlooked actor. He's a really fantastic, not only here in pulpy stuff, you know, but, you know, in more nuanced things as well. I don't know if you guys have seen, but he gives a phenomenal performance as uh, William S. Burroughs in Naked Lunch. I haven't seen that, but see, that would be a perfect thing for him because he would he would academically understand the text versus it's, it's, exploring who William Burroughs is. Daniel Day-Lewis would be like, a, I gotta be William Burroughs for six months. I don't know if you'd want to be William Burroughs, honestly. <laughs> that guy had problems. Uh, but, you know, the, the movie itself is uh, fascinating, and I think one of Cronenberg's better films as well. It's a, it's a surreal, uncomfortable experience at times. Dang. Um, but back but, to RoboCop, I was also gonna say, yeah. did you guys see the remake? No, I was I was gonna ask about that because uh, I have not heard anything good. I at all. I have seen the remake. I have seen it twice, I believe. Um, I saw it because of Michael Keaton. I love Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton's like yep. we went over this with Jack Frost. He's like one of my faves. Um, <laughs> it's not good, and I think it also speaks to Verhoeven's when we go back to like English language. How relevant is it to America? RoboCop remake tries to be like, this is happening right now with heavy drone warfare and the use of prosthetics in the medical field and trauma, PTSD. Um, Yet it doesn't actually encapsulate what RoboCop is as an idea Mm -hmm. and what America is like American values. Like when Sam Jackson is the news guy, he's doing a fake smile and has fake hair and that's an okay satire, but Verhoeven's satire is like, it, it's just smarter in every aspect. It does commercials where, you know, there's fucking giant dinosaurs raving about the SUX getting six miles to the gallery. Right. <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting because in RoboCop, I think you have a balance of blatant in-your-face, you know, calling attention to itself satire, and then just present part of the background and overall environment of the story satire like i think all of the fascist police state state uh police state stuff doesn't call attention to itself as much as like the abundance of commercials and you know uh the commentary there that you have in uh prevalent throughout uh, all of verhoven's uh sci-fi stuff you know like he's got that great trilogy of films that i'm sure we'll get around to here in a second i'm a big fan of the nukem board game by the way the Nukem board yeah. game is great. I would, I would actually play that. That'd be fun. Reminds me of like Civilization like it, meets Battleship. I feel like someone watched this and they're like, uh, let's make a game called Duke Nukem. <laughs> and uh, I was I was going to say before we move on to like, I don't know if we're doing final thoughts yet or anything, but I was going to talk about no, no. ED-209 and the RoboCop suit. Yeah. Cal has spent half yeah. the podcast emoting with his face. And Peter Weller's not able to do that. The, the only secret th- is, I haven't actually been mo- emoting, but it's a podcast, so nobody knows. What? <laughs> this isn't I a video podcast? Lie. <laughs> oh, no. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Isn't, that was a great joke. Oh, God. But, no, I'm, I'm glad you bring up the effects, bro, and the, the design of things, because I think that's a huge appeal of the film, you know, and part of what makes the film iconic and memorable still today is that the designs of RoboCop itself, the suit, and the robot antagonist there, you know, I think is a phenomenal element that still stands up, especially, again, with something like Ed, Ed 209, you know, he's got that... The fantastic integration of stop motion is always wonderful to see. I love seeing that in films. And it's beautiful that a design is incorporated into the narrative. Like, Ed 209 looks fucking scary. And he's got giant machine guns and giant feet and looks like a tank. However, he can't climb downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny vid. And, And the moment that happens, they understand the problems with the design. And that's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about a lot how Ebert said that it has like the Batman and Robin philosophy of if you can't see a guy's eyes, then you don't know who they are because they should probably know who Robocop is throughout the movie. Robocop takes off his mask. Yeah. 
yeah, certainly support. And I think that Weller does a great job. Again, there's there's something still to be said about a non-emotive performance. Again, that that's supposed to be part of his robotic demeanor there, and it makes perfect sense for you not to have any kind of visualization. The fact that we have no identity for Robocops is, is a whole aspect of the plot and the character arc there is that he's trying to chase and find that identity that he's lost so the emotionless performance from weller is perfectly in line with the. and his voice does change from scene to scene like at his most robotic there's sort of like an effect added onto it and as it gets near the end where he sort of finds himself again he gets much more closer to the original human uh delivery I think that's a good reading at face value. <laughs> I, it's, a, it's another point. I have really good jokes today. You're just on yeah. top of it. <laughs> um, did we want to mention about Lewis or the female uh, aspect of RoboCop? I think I just have a problem with Nancy Allen. I don't think she's a great really? actress. <laughs> <laughs> but she also, she's not usually given good roles. She doesn't do a whole lot for the film, but it's nice to see her here, and I like this female inclusion that Verhoeven has like this idea you see it as well pop up in like Starship Troopers these integrated locker rooms that you see it shows this more progressive idea which is again this is a small aspect of the film that helps create the the vision of a near future that RoboCop has it's it's not so far off that it's unimaginable but it's obviously not now because we're not progressive enough for that I'm just really glad that that's not like a love interest secretly Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be a, a horrible addition to the film. Like, you already have... Uh, that's not what we're here for, obviously. And the strong suits of the film are the action, the des- the sci-fi designs, and the social commentary. And that's, I think, really all I need. I'm here for, for the moment time. that one guy drives his truck into a giant vat of acid, becomes an <laughs> yes. acid monster, and then gets run over and becomes a giant pile of sludge. He gets l- liquefied. It's... Amazing, and, and we got to give credit to Rob Bettine for all the effects in the film because they are fantastic, and he's a, a legend as far as makeup and styling goes. He's the guy who worked with Carpenter on the Thing, you know, and other big uh, projects. He did the stuff with uh, Verhoeven as well for Total Recall, and his work is absolutely stunning. How do you guys nice. feel about this compared to Total Recall and Starship Troopers? It's it's very tough because all three films are really phenomenal in my mind. And I think that uh, in terms of what they're trying to do, I think RoboCop is the most successful. Uh, I think I enjoy Total Recall the most, though. Like, I just have such a blast with that film. And it's it's so fun and full of energy and spirit. I think I greatly prefer RoboCop over either one. Uh, they're, they're all great. It's weird when you think about acting performances because when... Verhoeven casts in Total Recall and Starship Troopers. He secretly doesn't give a fuck. He wants bad actors. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Don't get me wrong. He's not academic or Daniel Day-Lewis. I think. Well, obviously, yeah. But I think he's a, a great fit for the. He's charismatic, here, like, and Total I think Recall. that works. Yeah. And that also goes to like Starship Troopers, where the cast is all '90s actors. It's you know fucking. Oh, and it's Casper it's Van Dien. <laughs> or they are they are extremely 90s actors by the way <laughs> yeah it's very intentional it's supposed to be like you know 91210 you know all across the board there in it like because you're so in starship troopers he's pointing out the ridiculousness of these like these you know teeny boppers going in being you know tools of the fascist government no i mean i completely agree with that i just think it's fascinating that this is probably the one out of the three in which the lead probably is aware of everything verhoven is doing and i think to me at least that shows on screen I just well, want to say that... Not the, to disparage Casper Van Dien, I'm sure he's a genius. <laughs> what were you about to say, Cal, before I interrupted you? I feel like the political films of today just aren't that interesting. They don't have very interesting visuals. And uh, I think about, like, Robocop and Starship Troopers. It's like, we don't really have badass political films anymore because uh, they all have to make, like, a profound statement, but... Um, I feel like they're not, like, reaching out to the youth in any way, either. Like, if you made, like, a fucking cool-ass cop movie, maybe they would pay attention. Uh, but, uh, the coolest-ass political movie of the past ten years was Red State. 
So, um, <laughs> I like to, I like sorry to bother you, I guess. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Well, the, the, it depends. I, I, I disagree with the sentiment there that there aren't a lot of cool or great political movies. Cause again, uh, well, we had, obviously Par- there's Parasite ones, just one. Yeah. I mean, that's not flashy. Uh, that's not like a robot cop for a six year old. <laughs> yeah. Again, the, the kind of film I think we're talking about here, nothing nearly as like cartoony and as fun and pulpy as something like RoboCop or Starship Troopers. But you know, uh, I don't know if that's the environment that like would welcome that today, but I would love to see it. I don't know what exactly you would do though. Yeah, we're not really making like these R-rated movies for children anymore. So, no, unfortunately, that's the other thing. Well, like something like with Terminator or you know RoboCop here is that these are you know like super gory, like intensely action films that appealed to children because of their, like, superhero-like yeah. nature. Yeah, I mean, you should start watching RoboCop at 6, but also you really should not. <laughs> I think everyone... <laughs> I don't know if it speaks to people raised in the 80s as good or bad, but they were raised on RoboCop. Calvin, how do you yeah. feel about being raised on that? I mean, you see what it did to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I guess final thoughts, <laughs> question mark? Well, I guess even though you asked us, bro, you didn't give us the answer in terms of the the sci-fi trilogy there. Which is your what are your takes on? Um, I like Recall? them all. I think the weakest is yeah. probably Total Recall. I agree with that. I, th- I think Starship I think Troopers fair. competes with RoboCop, and really, yeah. what you're looking for is different between the films. Yeah, the problem, the only problem I would really say Starship Troopers has that it it unintentionally, you know plays the satire i think straight to a point that most viewers just totally don't even get it and they embrace the fascist nature of it there like the people who enjoy the novel do you know like they don't see the irony of anything going on just goes completely over their head i agree and it's take with with that approach yeah total recalls elements i think probably blend more to a normal blockbuster action film though so i think that's also enjoyable if you don't want to yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't want to think as much about satire and social commentary, Total Recall is a much more pleasant film for those sensibilities. And you still get, like, if you had... a chick with three boobs. Hmm. Yeah, if you, if you had to rank them in terms of their satirical content, Starship Troopers has the most. RoboCop, you know, is in the middle of has lots of it, but it's not, like, the predominating, you know, aspect. And then Total Recall is, like, very little. It's in there, but, you know, it's absolutely not at all what's going on i think it's just it's inherent in fear nature it's not you know part of the text so to speak damn this is a good movie that's all i gotta say that that's all i got left yeah. <laughs> it's it's great it's fantastic it's still so much fun and i think uh relevant today you know and uh, obviously you can keep watching it uh regardless of if you want it for the satire or just the action spectacle and you know entertaining villains and good comedy i think it's prevalent it's got everything going on in it fuck yeah uh it's shit RoboCop. i just remembered something aren't they making a new robocop are they i haven't heard anything about it shit I don't know. i'm i'm pretty sure peter weller has agreed to a new robocop um oh, <laughs> neil blomkamp okay wasn't he supposed to make an aliens movie as well at some point i don't know what's neil blomkamp doing well he, there was a whole problem with that <laughs> Of course, like, readily, like, retook control once they saw what was happening with that. And, I mean, there's always been aliens issues. As of yeah. 2019, there are still headlines of Neil Blomkamp and Robocop. But I guess don't take that for certain. Peter Willard was supposedly coming back. So, like, it would have been a legit Robocop sequel. But Did you well, ever I mean, feel that, not... uh, I mean, Blomkamp made the District 9, which is, like, more surface-level uh, commentary, but... I guess that's kind of what I mean about like a sci-fi movie that's trying to deliver politics. Uh, that that might be one of the last ones that we got. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think to... Blumkamp would be a good pick. I don't know necessarily if he's better than like Verhoeven or if this film would be good or better than original RoboCop. I don't think any movie's better than original RoboCop, baby. But no. <laughs> yeah. I think it's stiff competition, especially in terms of the the action category. I think uh, what RoboCop does, it accomplishes way more than most other action films, both of its time and in general. RoboCop, a better Frankenstein movie than Son of Frankenstein. Take that, Jesse. (laughs) 
Robocop's the best movie of all time. I'm saying it here and now. Like, if this was the, my last podcast with you guys, I'd be like, <laughs> we're riding off into the sunset. I love Robocop too much. All right. Uh, that's a good note to end on. Thanks again, bro, for uh, coming, and we look forward to the next uh, fun, entertaining podcast. I hope it's not gonna just be the one in November. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no. <laughs> we'll catch you before then. Don't you worry. Well, thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.